My memory is muddy. That's the river that I'm in. New Orleans is sinking, man, and I don't want to swim. <laughs> Steve, man, that's you know what? Nobody has sung that. I, I think that's a first, man. Kick it off with a little Canadian uh, yeah. tune. Yeah, no, I mean, okay, so Steve, I got to thank you, first of all, for trekking across the country. <laughs> to, you know, we could have did a Zoom. We could have did it on a phone. We could have did whatever. No, nah, but we could have did it in person. It's not the same. It's not the same. So that's what, so everyone who's listening, thank you again for listening. I've got a very special guest here. I've known you quite a bit, like a quite like a long, long time, probably a decade or so. I got Steve Andrews. You're coming from Structural Reinforcement Solutions. So Structural RS. And we're going to talk about what, Steve? I think we're going to go over the uh, the Miami building collapse there at Surfside. I want to talk about that. That's and, critical. Uh, bring, bring some awareness and attention to it. Yeah. That's really, really important. So let's, let's get some creds out of the wave right off the bat. So Steve Andrews, Structural Reinforcement Solutions. Website is www.structuralrs.com. Email to reach out to Steve is sandrews with an S at structuralrs.com. On IG, uh, you guys are also on Facebook too, I think. We are, yeah. yeah. Str- Structural.rs, right? Yeah. And then you also have a YouTube channel. Yeah. So you can find it at Structural Reinforcement Solutions on YouTube. Now, you guys, basically the product is a carbon fiber reinforcing epoxy. You're, you're going to get into the whole nuts and bolts of it, right? I, I want to learn more. I know that when you first introduced the product to me, we met in a parking lot. You guys ended up putting this product on one side of cinder blocks. Then you elevated the cinder blocks on ramps and you had cinder blocks laying on their sides and you had a full-size SUV drive over and nothing happened to the cinder blocks. Yeah, They didn't cave in, they didn't fall in, they didn't break, they didn't buckle, they didn't do anything. Your product held the blocks together. So take us to the beginning and just let's figure out what you guys do, what this product does, and then let's get into the Miami, let's get into structural fails, let's get into what you guys are doing about all the infrastructure, how you're saving concrete, because concrete we know, and we know in Toronto, we know, really know in Toronto, if you ever drive on the Gardener, it's falling apart. Concrete just falls apart. Over to you, man. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the intro there, Manny. That's essentially what, kind of going back to what you were saying about the 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 carbon fiber on the cinder block that's a great demonstration to understand how you can reinforce unreinforced concrete essentially so if you took those cinder blocks you could apply the carbon fiber to it and give it the exact same kind of strength characteristics as if you had reinforcing steel inside it and it's actually it's actually even stronger than that so we could we can reinforce something so that it's 10 times stronger than than steel how are you itself. guys testing it to like i don't know where that i'm sure you have a lot of testing going on we do, yeah. So we work, we work with uh, University of Miami, and uh, we work with their composite testing laboratory. So all of our all of our systems are tested by by material scientists there. So we take the the epoxy component, and you take the carbon fiber, and then the two are tested together as as a composite system, and that's really important. You can't just take carbon fiber and any epoxy, marry them together, and think that that's gonna support a structure the two the two components are designed together to perform you know as as one system so Got it's it. called carbon fiber reinforced polymer so the polymer component being the epoxy plays a very really important role in it so it's absorbing into the concrete yeah so the the epoxy part of that is playing kind of two roles it's working to bond the carbon fiber and then it's also penetrating into the pores of the concrete it's saturating right into it and it's essentially sandwiching the carbon fiber in between two layers of epoxy 
So it's a reinforced polymer. Have you guys, because I can only assume that you guys also know a lot about concrete. And I'm figuring concrete has kind of changed over the decades or it hasn't? You tell me, because I can only assume that you guys have tested different types of concrete. Yeah, I mean, we, we work with, you know, uh, CMU blocks, cinder blocks, poured concrete. And essentially what you, what you really want to do when you're, when you're applying carbon fiber in this, any type of setting like that is you want to make sure that you're bonding to the actual aggregate of the concrete. So whatever the concrete condition is, you want to make sure that it can actually support carbon fiber. So there's not, you know, we don't want to bond carbon fiber to concrete that's crumbling or deteriorating to that point. The cream or the Yeah, the you want eroded. to get past that slurry. Okay. You want to get past that cream, that slurry on the surface, so that's surface ground. So we use a diamond cup grinding wheel to grind down past that that slurry, that cream on the on the face, so that the epoxy then can penetrate into the actual aggregate of, of the concrete. Itself. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to get into a bunch of this stuff, but this is yeah. completely applicable to residential and older homes and they're all falling apart foundations as much as commercial applications, very right? Much, you guys, your much. product is applicable to all these situations where concrete is in. Yeah. And it's been, uh, I mean, there's been a big push. I mean, the United States has actually been a bit further ahead than Canada in this way for, for promoting and pushing carbon fiber composite strengthening. And we've We've actually worked with a lot of foundation repair companies across the United States and several, several here in Canada who have really done a, a great job at adapting it. But it's interesting that carbon fiber was used extensively in, in the bowed wall space in, uh, for many years, probably about 30 years in the United States. So, so over time, you would get earth pushing yeah. a, a, a lateral force? Yeah, so the forces are, the forces are being exerted on that. That lateral force is being exerted, so soil is expanding and that pressure in the united states there's a lot of cinder block basements okay we see them mostly used here in, in additions and that type of thing but they actually built a lot of foundations on on block mostly the northern eastern yeah, kind of thing a lot in the midwest a lot, okay. a lot in that area in the united states all these foundations are built in areas where there's you know, a lot of expansive soil so once that soil gets saturated that pressure is going to be exerted on the on the wall and then then you get the the inward bowing so here in Canada, we have to deal with the saturation, but also the freeze-thaw cycle. Yeah. Over there, they're just dealing with saturation. They're dealing with, and, and in a lot of the environments, they're dealing with the same freezing you know, environments of the soils as well. They're, the block really doesn't hold up well when it comes to you know, those expansive soils. In Canada, we're, we see a lot more poured basements. We'll see that lateral cracking that's sometimes evident, or we'll see vertical cracking. Carbon fiber can be used as a, like a localized crack reinforcement as well as what we would call global strength. Like a cold joint yeah. in, in poured concrete. Correct. Yep. So if you saw cold joint, it makes sense to use your product to kind of fix that cold joint instead of just turn a blind eye, right? Yeah, especially if you have a crack that's leaking. Okay. And, and you know, crack injections, as you know, can be highly problematic. If you, yeah. you've been doing a renovation and you, you tear the wall open, you find that... You can actually make it worse if it's not done correctly. You can, and they're almost, you know, to, to go back and repair an, a crack injection, if you're in a, you know, at a renovation, and to, to go back, another contractor has injected it, extremely high failure rate. So it's, it's not likely that you're gonna be able to re-inject that and stop that from leaking, okay. because you're, you're dealing with movement in that crack, and it's causing it to open and close and, and, and fail, essentially. So when you apply the carbon fiber over the top of it, you're essentially arresting all of that movement and the epoxy component of it, once it's bonded and you've sandwiched that carbon fiber to the outside, you're getting that added benefit of waterproofing it as well. So, so you, how are your two pick points happening? So let's, let's give everybody a little bit of a visualization, right? Where you've got a traditional cinder block basement 
I'm assuming there's no reinforcing metal or rebar or anything inside the cinder block. Is it open void or are they actually filled it with some sort of material inside there? I mean, sometimes the, you know, the, the, the cores are filled and there is reinforcing steel, but oftentimes it's either insufficient or, or it's just failing from the, from the, the pressure. From the pressure, the, yeah. uh, the hydrostatic pressure. Hydrostatic from the, pressure. Got it. So, so now you guys are applying this. So you've got a bow wall, you got a cracker, you got something. The top point is anchored to where, and the bottom point is anchored to where, and how are they anchored? Our system actually, we have an engineered stamp design for this particular s scenario. But I know there are other systems that do that do anchor to the house framing. And the reason why we don't anchor to the framing is that we don't actually know the condition. Okay, you of, just busted me because I did some research and okay. I just brought no, up no. that you guys brought up anchoring, but you guys don't do anchoring. Okay. If if there is a risk of shear, now if the if you're looking at that wall and that bottom course is is, is starting to shear, okay. then we need to rod and grout that to prevent that wall from from shearing further. The the top anchor, if you actually look at where the forces are applied to the wall, anchoring to the house framing is actually it's really not it's it doesn't make much sense. Because if we don't know, the, we, for one, we don't know the condition of the timber. We don't know if that wood's rotten. We don't, also don't know if it's actually fastened to the, to the foundation wall itself. A so proper sill plate and, and J-bolts and everything like that. Correct, yeah. And, and there's such a variance across North America as, as far as that sill plate goes. Our system doesn't rely on it. It's going to rely on the bond strength and the development length of, of the carbon fiber to the so wall. So you guys are pretty much custom per application. We do a lot of it, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, a lot of what we do is, I mean, especially when we get into the commercial, the commercial side of things, it really is, it really is specific to, uh, to the application. Because yeah. you've got to figure out, okay, so what is failing, why is it failing, and how to solve it. Yeah. Because I've seen you guys literally wrap concrete posts two-foot diameter with your product, making it that much stronger than any other post in that assembly of that, yeah. whatever it is, right? If it's a, uh, an overpass or what have you, right? Yeah, and it's, I mean, in the commercial space, I mean, it's, it's even more critical that we understand exactly the, you know, the causes of failure to make sure that we're going to, you know, address it, ad address it correctly. And we're going to prepare the right, you know, engineered design to address the causes of failure. So it's not just a, you know, let's, let's wrap this in carbon fiber and, you know, it's, and we're no. done. It's very important to do, you know, a, an investigation and to have all of the details. We get pictures sent to us sometimes and say, well, I've got this you know, this crack in this column, let's wrap it. But we really want to understand what's going on, what's caused that column to fail, you know, in, in the first place, so that we make sure that, you know, there's not something else going on here that we're ignoring, you know, just by, by wrapping this up. Are you finding that, I guess, you'll get a lot of clientele that'll come in and treat it as if it's, you guys are coming in as a Band-Aid, when you guys don't want to be a Band-Aid, you want to figure out the actual root of the problem yeah. and then come up with a proper solution. Yeah, yeah, and we and it has been it has been referred to as that in the, in the past too. But you're actually when you're looking at, you know, carbon fiber, it's it's a permanent reinforcement system. So you know, Department of Transportation, they're looking at this to rehabilitate a bridge permanently. You know, get another 30, 40 years of life expectancy out of out of the structure. So it's not a it's not a temporary you know band-aid solution. These are permanent you know reinforcement systems. What is the warranty on it? Like I mean, you guys come in and it's it's engineered as per. Yeah. For each for each scenario, what kind of a warranty are you guys giving these people? We we warranty that that product is going to perform for twenty five years as stated. Okay. So, if that means you know no further inward movement of that wall, I mean if the product is doing its job, you should have no further inward movement. If that you know if we're wrapping a column or we're reinforcing a beam, in actuality, carbon fiber has no expiry. It it's, it lasts essentially. Really. They they have no known uh, expiry on carbon fiber. Wow. Yeah. 
So how long have you guys been around and where did it all get started? I know that your partner, I briefly met him like way back when. Yeah. Like how did it all begin? Where was the, the, the origin of this? Yeah, we, we worked for, uh, for a company that we, uh, we kind of traveled around North America and we were working, we were working together training contractors and uh, teaching them how to implement carbon fiber into their day-to-day business. So it was, we did a lot of work in the residential space, but a lot of contractors that we work with, a lot of foundation repair contractors were getting commercial jobs and they wanted to understand how they could expand their businesses and get into other avenues because once you kind of learn how to install carbon fiber in a residential setting a lot of these contractors were venturing into parking garages and other commercial applications because for it. there's some good money in those situations it is. <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's the same skill set it's the same crew so you could take that same crew and get into a, yep. a much larger project and the work is there it's 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 so abundant i mean you look around anywhere you're seeing cracked concrete, you're seeing deteriorated concrete everywhere. So it's, uh, it's an attractive business for a lot of contractors to get into just because there's obviously, there's a lot of work out there. It doesn't require a lot of overheads to get into it. And you know, beyond the, the cost of the materials, you're, you're really providing your clients with uh, a solution they probably didn't you know, even hear of. Yeah, they even How think many that was out there. Yeah. yeah. We I mean, let, let's Steve, let's let's get into Miami. I want to talk about Miami and, and what happened recently and why it happened. And I know that I've seen certain videos and certain assessments by certain site supers or site supervisors from these structures. And everybody kind of saw this potentially happening, but it happened. Yeah, I think, you know, before we get into that, I think it's it's, uh, you know, it's respectful to think that, you know, there's. We want to be mindful of the fact that 97 people yeah. know, lost their lives in that, yeah. in that failure. Very I think it's, uh, it's an eye-opener in a lot of ways. And I think these types of massive catastrophes, you know, they're, they're a lesson for us to be able to make sure they don't happen, you know, in the future. And it's a, a big motivation for us to be in this business in the first place. I mean, we're in the, we're in the business of, of preserving structures and, and, and keeping the public safe. There's a lot of things that, you know, with that failure in Miami, there's a lot of factors that were at play and if you you know you kind of go through go through the internet you're going to get a, a, a pretty broad spectrum of speculation as to you know why that building failed but i think one of the things that that stands out is that you could point to probably half a dozen factors that probably in time contributed to that failure whether it was you know one was solely the root cause or it was a combination of a number of things one thing i think we could be very certain of is that that building you know it lacked the proper maintenance to uh, to keep that structure up, and it wouldn't have you know it probably wouldn't have happened in the first place. And there's a lot of speculation around it. And I know that the lead forensic uh, engineer, the investigator that was that was in charge of it, he's been kept out of that that building site, and it's been deemed as a crime scene until uh, and they cleared all the rubble out of the way. So he's been kept out of it for for some time now. Wow, really? Huh? Yeah. I'm not quite sure about... Uh, but it's interesting that we, we all... I mean, I do it almost every week or whatever. We walk into a building not thinking anything of it. we just thinking, sure, there's 100 stories above us, whatever, of concrete and lives and people and all kinds of possessions, and we don't think anything of it. We drive into underground park it. We don't think anything of it. We just think it's normal and it should stay up. But then there is that maintenance section. I know here in Toronto, we have some of the highest maintenance. A lot of people are condo owners like sometimes the maintenance fees are bigger than your mortgage fees, right? So you got to wonder, so where is all this money going? Are people actually doing their job to figure out, is this building going to stay that much longer? Is there, is there a fault? Is there, I, I agree with you that there was more than one factor when it came to that particular scenario. So I guess they're still investigating, still trying to figure it out. 
but there is some cause in, in the actual concrete in the way that maintenance, right? There is, yeah. And I think what, what a lot of, there's a lot of engineers actually online that have been analyzing the footage and the, the, the manner that the building failed. And then there's also, there's also footage of people that were videoing, videoing that building just before it collapsed. And there was a lot of early, there's a lot of signs that were happening, you know, half an hour before that, uh, that collapse where you could see beams that were failing in the underground. There were wow. sprinkler pipes that were bursting. And yeah. there was a lot of, you know, residents were complaining that there was, there, it sounded like construction noises going on at 1.30 in the morning. But, uh, I mean, there's, when you kind of look at the sequence of how that building failed, you can see it really does point to the fact that there was a significant lack of maintenance. They had some, some obvious waterproofing issues that were going on. And they'd ignored a lot of the issues that uh, that seemed to really uh, come at play. And it's it's it really is a tragedy that a lot of these issues, you know, they become a conversation of a strata meeting. And we're you know that you're you're talking about well, who's going to pay for who's going to pay for the hundred thousand you know the hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to yeah. you know to upgrade this structure. And it becomes a finger pointing exercise. And uh, you know that's critical time that you're losing, you know, wh where you could be looking at. At solutions to reinforce that that whole structure. But I guess it's really you're dealing with the economy where let's get the building up, let's get the people in, let's get them sold, the units, and just keep moving, moving. I mean, we've you've seen our landscape. I've, I, it's been a few years since I've been to out to BC, but I've seen the the city landscape there just grows, right? It's insane, structure after structure after structure. You just assume everybody's building them correctly, or they're not taking any shortcuts. Yeah, it goes back to me thinking: Is there a way to use your product? in actual building codes, like to actually use it as part of building structures instead mm -hmm. of as repairing building structures. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, carbon fiber has largely been, it's largely been used to to repair and reinforce existing structures as a- uh, Unless you're building a Ferrari. Unless you're building, yeah, and, and then now you're- yeah. <laughs> Or McLaren. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, so that's, but I that's, mean, a lot of people know it from that way, right? Yeah, so I mean, if a, if a structure, if a structure is built you know, to, to the building codes. And I mean, you look at all the buildings surrounding that, you know, the building there in Surfside, these uh, glass skyscrapers, I mean, they're, they're holding up fine. All of the storms that come through Florida, I mean, on an ongoing basis, they're holding up fine, but they're built, they're built to, you know, to codes now that can actually handle the stresses from storms and uplift forces and, you know, all, all of the factors that would keep that building safe and standing upright. When you get into the building, you know, uh, Surfside there where, you're looking at something that's de you know it's it's several decades old. It was not built to the to the same codes. And if you kind of go back to the look at the history of that building, the contractor that originally built it, he had other infractions too. Oh, where, I didn't know that. Where Flor yeah, the, and the, and the state of the state of Florida had taken his license away for six months, gave him a little slap on the wrist. Wow. Six months later, he was back to building you know and built the Surfside building. But I mean, okay. So you said that these the buildings are built a certain way to 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 withstand all this stuff. It kind of reminds me back in my younger days when I was always driving a, a pickup truck, and it was like a standard Nissan pickup truck, and I had the bumper on it. And for whatever reason, I had one year where I got rear-ended four times, and it almost became routine. I knew exactly how much that bumper would cost to replace, and I learned from the very first one that the bumper was designed to take that impact. You may not see any defects in that bumper as a result of that impact. But if you leave it as is and you get rear-ended again, that force is going to go further into the chassis now because the bumper is designed to absorb that energy that's coming from that first and only one. So if we start seeing these building structures and they sustain you know, some pretty intense 
you know, uh, structure from a hurricane or something goes on, maybe it's strong enough to withstand that first one, but then the second one comes along and it makes it that much more weaker. Shouldn't we, I guess now, as a result of these things going on, they're changing the code and they're making it that much harder, which makes the units more expensive, which makes the structure more expensive, right? Yeah. And they introduced, I mean, to their credit, they, they did put, you know, the Miami did, uh, the town of Surfside put a building recertification program Good. in place. So any structure over 40 years old had to become recertified in order to, you know, to, to relook at it. I mean, you should be looking at structures like this on an ongoing basis. You there have should to. be a structural engineer going through, you know, any, any multi-story building like that that's of that age and it's been, it's been through all kinds of, all kinds of storms, renovations, remodels, and it's showing that, I mean, if you actually go through some of the footage and you look through the underground of that parking garage, you can see up on the deck, there's all kinds of crack injections that have happened. There was over the years, numerous, numerous cracks. And what they've been doing is, is, is essentially, I'm kind of going back to our conversation at the beginning. They're just, they're not looking at the causation of what's causing that, that, that leaky crack in the parking garage, injecting it and thinking that that problem is going to go away. You have to kind of go backwards and sort of reverse engineer these problems. And then, I mean, a lot of what you see there, it goes back to that pool deck. And there were some major, major drainage issues on that pool deck. And they, they realize there's, there's an ina inadequate slope. Water's not draining away from that pool deck. And you kind of look at the sequence of events. That entire pool deck actually just collapsed into the parking garage and just oh, completely broke away. Yeah. And then it basically set off a, a, a sequence of events where that pool deck collapsed and it also sheared one of the, it, it broke one of the columns. The column then es essentially started to pull away from the shear wall and then you started to see these, this, it just whole, became a this whole chain of events started to happen. Wow. And then you're seeing beams and other columns breaking and fracturing. But there's other factors too, where I mean, you, you, you look at a building like that that's been renovated dozens and dozens of times. Compromise I mean, or the way it's been done. Or another factor too, I mean, this is something, that, I mean, how, how many times have you gone into uh, a high-rise condo and you've seen a renovation done and you think, wow, this is beautiful granite and you're adding half an inch of, of, of granite to this shower and your countertops and floors and you think about the original weight that that structure was designed to carry and you had formica cabinets and countertops it's true. and lighter weight materials yeah, and now true. you buy a million dollar penthouse condo or, I mean, a lot of these condos were a million bucks plus. And they're putting in, you know, high-end finishing materials, as, as, as you would. But you compound that over every single story, and every resident wants to up, update their, their unit. You're compromising the structure. You're compromising the structure. Now you've added a load that that structure was never designed to carry in the first place. I mean, I don't want to speculate to say that was the causation of it, but these are factors to look at. No, but that's realistic that people realistic. would come in, and, and you're right, like years ago, decades ago, it, stone wasn't an option, but now you're bringing it in. And we all know like a slab of stone is a thousand pounds easily, right? Yeah. So you, yeah, and you just multiply it on top of each other. Yeah. And then you're still looking, I mean, those columns, those columns down in the basement, you know, they're, they're adding all of this weight actually, you know, on, on top of it, nothing's ever been reinforced at the basement level. And then well, I mean, it's like basic stuff where you think about, okay, a traditional looking truss, it's designed the way it is designed but if you remove one of those collars or anything like that you've compromised the structure because it's designed as a whole so it's the same thing with a building if you compromise one of those posts it affects the whole and that's what's really critical here and that's what we have to pay attention to yeah oh, there's wow. a lot of there's a lot of projects that that uh 
that, that get sent to us where they're repurposing a building and they need to put a you know an HVAC unit on the roof. Well, you you add a you know a, a two-ton HVAC unit on top of uh, you know on top of the roof. You have to make all of the other considerations for that load now. I mean, you, we're seeing that a lot, especially now with with you know vacancies and commercial buildings and they're repurposing a lot of buildings. Because they have to, code. because they got to be competitive towards all the new buildings that are being built right now to yeah. the new standards and then different spaces or whatever. So they have to be competitive at that point. But you can't go to the point where you're going to compromise the structure, right? Yeah. You've got to be careful at that point. You do. And and oftentimes, I mean, it's it should be, I mean, it should be, you know, the fir the very first thing is, is to bring a structural engineer in, you know, to take a look at that. And then I guess you have to look at uh, the compliance of, of everyone on board to see, you know, when the structural engineer comes in and says, yeah, this, this building is, you know, needs a significant upgrade. And it kind of goes back to the who, who's going to pay for this. Well, I mean, if I was a structural engineer and I'm walking in and I'm seeing a lot of crack isolation, you know, patchwork here and there all over the place, then I'd be getting a little concerned mm -hmm. saying, I don't know. This is what I visually see. I don't know what else I'm not seeing. So at, at some point, maybe there's going to be structural engineers that are going to say, well, I can't attach my against this. Mm -hmm. I have to know more about this building. But then eventually they might find a structural engineer, engineer that will sign off on that. There's always going to be someone that's going to be cheaper in the construction industry. So I, so I guess it won't be hard to find somebody to sign off on that, hoping that nothing happens. But that's not what we want to build. Yeah, I mean, 2018, the, uh, the structural engineer report, you know, it revealed all kinds of deficiencies in that building. Really? And, and they were ignored? They were largely ignored, yeah. And it became, you know, who's going to pay? Who's going to pay for this? And that's what's going through right now. I yeah. know out in BC, you guys have far stricter building practices. You guys actually consider earthquake and all kinds of uh, extreme weather, moisture. You're, the homes out there are built, I would say, better than they are built in Ontario because you guys are considering Mother Nature a far more greater foe than we are. Right, you guys have a lot of moisture issues, and you guys also have seismic issues out there. So you guys build with all these extra factors in, in, into the house, right? We do, yeah. I mean, and it's and it's great to see that those those things are being implemented into the building code. I mean, the seismic activity on the west coast. I mean, you really it shouldn't be underestimated. No, a lot of the contractors that we work with from Southern California right up into 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 British Columbia, that entire western you know seaboard we're seeing an increased amount of seismic activity. And then we get pictures you know, sent to us every single day for lateral cracking on stem walls and foundations. And it's just, it just keeps getting... It and then keeps the repair increasing. that's attached to that, because now you have to factor in, well, how do I fix this? If, yeah. it's, if it's even fixable at that point. Yeah. Because you'll get an structural engineer will come in and go, well, you can't even fix this. This actually be, has, has to be demolished. And then you have to start all over from that point. Yeah. If it's a bad enough crack, right? And that's really where, I mean, carbon fiber is a great, it really is a great solution for that. Because, I mean, where, where you're looking at foundations or, you know, structural elements that would otherwise have to be removed at great cost to the, to the building owner. Carbon fiber, we can rehabilitate it and, and strengthen that foundation or, you know, a, a column or any kind of structural element without replacing it. So although the carbon fiber, you know, itself, it, you know, if you're looking at just the material cost, it can be expensive, but not... Not at all when compared to the alternative, which would be replacing yeah. something and, and uh, you know, completely rebuilding a, a foundation or, yeah. or something. Now, I know that like any good product, it gets filtered from commercial applications. It's used in infrastructure applications and then eventually gets into residential. But then you get the DIYer kind of situations come up. 
And I don't think this, like a lot of products that are out there in the industry, should be handled by DIYers. I think that a professional is a professional for a reason. We, we agree. I mean, we, we'll only sell our, our products to professional contractors. A and great, they got to be trained. Like, I mean, you got to be... And we do, and we provide, you know, a training. We make sure that whoever is going to, wherever our product ends up, whoever's handed is, is in, whatever contractor, whether it's the owner and right down to his installation crew, we want to make sure they have a thorough understanding how it needs to be applied. It really isn't something that, you know, you could watch a, a DIY, you know, YouTube video and feel empowered to, that you're going to perform a structural repair. Because kind of going back to what we were saying, understanding the causation of, of what's caused that to fail. Yeah. And if you ignore that and you, you feel like you've repaired this, this issue in your house, you've only maybe repaired the one, the thing that you can actually see. And maybe you have way more underlying issues. You know, soil, we get into a lot of, you know, understanding different soil types, settlement, the contractors, a lot of contractors that we work with are into peering. And and settlement and different soil types are a huge, a huge part of that. I mean, we could, you know, you don't want to just repair a crack and your whole house is settling because the house is going to continue to settle. And you're going to get another crack. You're going to get another crack. It'll happen further down the down the wall. So what that. were you saying? You were saying peering? Yeah, peering. What's peering? It's interesting because it's it's a lot it's a lot more popular in the United States in, okay. in Canada here we don't see as much of it peering is essentially you're, you're going to underpin the foundation and then they can lift level lift and level that foundation to bring it back to to a stable state so you've got a you got a foundation that's actually sinking yep. because of soil conditions mm -hmm. So leaning tower of pisa kind of thing and yep. you're just basically going to underpin it and then raise it back up yeah Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's and then you're still left you're still left with a lot of the cracks. Obviously, they're going to be closed up because they're not going to have, you know, you you've lifted the foundation, but yeah, and that oftentimes plays into a number, you know, a lot of foundation issues. And you really you should be looking at your soil type and seeing, you know, what's going on. Look at the drainage issues, look at the foundation, what's going on around it. Even go, you know, let's back it up to your gutters. Let's see where you're, you know, how much, where are, they where are we getting this water away from yeah. the building? What's causing that, that foundation? Window to wells, all kinds of, yeah. everyone's concerned about making their gardens look beautiful and perfect and, and watering all kinds of shrubbery, but they're forgetting the fact that you're bringing too much water into the foundation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the causation of it and making sure that, you, you know, your, your, your foundation is, is dry it's not continuing to settle. I mean, that's a big that's a big part of it. And a lot of there's a lot of um, contractors now that are into exp uh, foam, yeah. And foam is is becoming a, a a great way to stabilize concrete. Foam in what way? Like you're talking about ICF, or you're talking St structural foam? Structural foam. So yeah. the stuff that a lot of the commercial when I see a lot of guys doing commercial work and they're putting the new poles in, they're not using concrete. They're using structural foam to hold those poles. Yeah. Got it. Huh? Yeah, and there's and there's some uh, that the foam industry has come a long way in the last in the last little bit, and uh, you're seeing that now used on highways. You're seeing you know any sinkholes that are that are occurring. There's foam that can that can take you know a significant load. What kind of foam are we talking about here? Like, it, it's, this is not a, like a it's not an insulating foam. This is a structural this isn't like foam. great stuff. This is this is this is uh, the the cellular structure of it. I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm yeah. not, I'm not in the yeah. foam business, but the basically the cellular structure of the foam. Can have it has a load capacity to it. Oh wow! So you're able to if you're you're leveling sidewalks or you're leveling, you could actually use it to fill voids, you know, in in under your slab. There's lots of ways to address it, and we have solutions now that are available to us, you know, to address this type of thing. 
So. I know that you've got, like, I mean, I've walked into so many clients' homes that are relatively new, maybe a subdivision, 20 years old or whatever, and I walk in, and I want to just get you to describe the crack isolation technique that you'll see where people come in and gouge away the crack, and then they'll shoot those little, I don't know what they're called or whatever, and then homeowners think, hey, my basement's perfectly fine now. It's actually probably stronger at that point than at any other point in the basement. Yeah, so I mean, there's a few different ways. I mean, if you're talking about you know the crack injection, the typical crack injection, the, the, the yeah, tip, the typical vertical cracks that you know we're seeing in basements. And I spent a lot, a uh, good good part of my life working in in basements from uh, insurance restoration space, and uh, I you know you, you you discover these cracks all the time. There's a couple ways to inject those cracks. You can you can use a expanding polyurethane foam, which is probably your best way to actually ensure that water is going to be you know prevented from uh, from coming in or you can use epoxy. The epoxy is very rigid, it's, and it's not gonna inject or penetrate you know, through the, the wall quite as, quite as well. And it'll absorb into the concrete. It does, so I mean, epoxy would be considered a structural injection, polyurethane is not. Okay. Polyurethane, you're stopping the water, and you know, you're, you're working your way up. Sometimes you'll see that foam come right through to the outside, which you hope. You What's hope the majority of people using? They're using? Polyurethane. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, vast majority of polyurethane, but the, where the carbon fiber comes into it, where you would be able to actually essentially ensure that that's now a structural, you, you would be able to make that a structural repair. So you're confining it and you're arresting all of that movement. So the polyurethane is going to stop the water intrusion. Water is no longer coming into that, into that void in your basement. And then the carbon fiber is going to prov provide that extra barrier of waterproofing protection and then it's gonna stop the movement in the crack, which is gonna cause a failure. I've seen on your IG and other posts, I've seen you guys put your product every so often along a wall, whether it was concrete or, or, or cinder block. Is it a smart move or is it just overkill to do it in a new construction to actually just secure that concrete even stronger or is it? If you knew you were building in an area with expansive soil, if, if you knew that that was, was a risk, I mean, it's, it's something that definitely could be done. I would say that the, the vast majority of, of projects are, are when, you know, that's failed. There, I'm not saying there's not an advantage to putting it into a new basement, yeah. but the average, the average homeowner is probably not going to use carbon fiber to, to, to well, I just keep it. thinking it's, that if, if you're building, uh, like, everyone talks about the foundation being the foundation, how important the foundation is, mm -hmm. how important the concrete has to be, how important everything all is. And I just keep thinking, why not use your product as a reinforcement, as a backup, as a, as a purpose yeah. to make that structure that much stronger. And it, and it can be, I mean, we, we did a project on, um, on Salt Spring Island, actually out in British Columbia just recently where the concrete was poured with, uh, with insufficient strengths. I think it was, it was poured at uh, 15 MPA, should have been 25 MPA. The entire foundation was wrapped in bi-directional carbon fiber prior to the house being built on it. Brand new, brand new foundation. On the interior or exterior? On the full wrap. Full wrap? In, on, yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah because of that. Yeah. So it, it lacked the, the, the strength right from the beginning. They had, they had, too, many, they had too many additives in, in, the, uh, in the concrete. They were concerned that it was going to kick on the way out to the project. It was remote, too much water, too much, you know, admix to it. So, so is it the same thing where, okay, you guys are studying concrete. So if it has too much strength, is it also weak in it as much as it is if it has little strength? Like, I don't know. I don't know that much about concrete with all the MPAs. But the thing is, I know that the, like here in, in Ontario, we 25 is what we try to generally yep. build at, right? Yeah. But I mean, I, I've heard of 15. I've never seen 15. But I mean, if it's, if it's 15... What starts to happen to that concrete? You're going to start to see quite a bit of honeycombing 
Like okay. that's a that's a good sign to look for. Okay. If you're seeing a lot of honeycombing, or maybe they have you know, they haven't used a vibrator when they're when they're pouring it, that's another factor in this too. So thing you know when you're when you're doing core samples, I mean not everyone's going to do a core sample of it, but if you're seeing signs like that on a new foundation, let's say, and you've poured, you know your foundation's been poured, you're getting ready to build your house. If you are seeing signs of honeycombing, and by that you know we're seeing. By honeycombing, that's sort of when you're seeing, you know, large voids in the concrete on, yeah. the, on the surface. It's no well, you longer. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see that. So that would be reason, you know, to to be, to want to do a bit of an investigation on it. And just making assumptions is is, uh, yeah, it can be, can can really lead you astray. Well, that's why I keep on thinking that foundation is so important. Where it's it's the one trade or the one step of the concrete or the building process that it's blinded. You build a form. And you put the product inside and then you hope and prayer that it's been poured at the right consistency, the right strength, and it's been vibrated. And then all of a sudden you unwrap it and you're hoping that it looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. But there's a chance that you'll get those little spots where it might be honeycombed. And then that's a failure at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's, de it's definitely something to look for. And I mean, your, your engineer that's, that's going to sign off on that foundation. I mean, you really want to... You want to rely on them to make sure. I mean, what what they're going to tell you and what, on that inspection for that foundation. You want to make sure that you know it does really meet the strength requirements to build your house upon it. And you I guys, know not engineer, not every engineer is created equally, but no, it's, uh, some over, some under, some yeah. have a drink or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys have been all over the states and you've been all over Canada. Where are some of the really shaky, literally like grounds, like the, the soil conditions are just question marks everywhere? I'd have to say Kansas. Kansas? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why is that? A lot of expensive soil. Okay. A lot of settlement, uh, a lot of inferior building. Really? Yeah. We get and into, this show uh, is brought to you by the tourism of Kansas. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm no, just curious we, about it. Like, we, I, Yeah. I mean, know. it's, we're seeing... There's a lot of there's a lot of structures that are built in the Midwest okay. that that uh, you know they really they really weren't built they weren't built great they weren't built to to proper building codes where we where we do see a lot of our products being used are in environments where there's a lot of salt you're getting you're getting a lot of corrosive elements so either on seaboards you know the East Coast and West Coast are also you know you're getting on the West you've got the seismic activity which yeah. we talked about. And uh, you're getting a lot of the earthquakes, but you're getting settlement. harsh salt on the east, Halifax harsh. and the islands, the PI and stuff like that. You're yeah. getting some harshness there, right? Have you driven through? Have you? When's the last time you went through um, Quebec? It's been a through. while. It's been a while. What's going on in Quebec there? Have you driven? If you next time you go through and take a look at all of the overpasses and the bridges and and I mean their infrastructure there is, is some of the worst. I mean I know the gardener here is a, a real point it's of bad, contention. But I remember Quebec having a lot of iron. Like metal overpasses, right? But there are, are they metal and then cladded with concrete, or is that what they do? But then I, I see a lot of metal. That's what I'm seeing, yeah. chipped away from the concrete. Is that what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're seeing reinforcing steel, you're seeing exposed reinforcing steel, rebar. These these are all early warning signs that you, you really need to you really need to be looking out for. I mean, kind of going back to that, you know, the Surfside collapse. If you're going into your underground parking garage and you're you're seeing this type of this type of you know exposed rebar. You're seeing leaking going on. There's Things a like, reason behind. There's that. a reason behind it, and, and you should be asking questions. You should be going to your building owner. Uh, you should be going to the, the you know the, the strata board. Uh, you know, raise as many flags as you can. I mean, whoever the right people are to talk to, you, you need to to raise those questions. It's not the time to you know to keep quiet and think that you know this is 
this problem is going to go away. But here it's, in Toronto, uh, we drive in the Gardner all the time, and, and we know that we'll get that construction infrastructure going on where it shuts it down for another lane or two, and then they do those little spotty concrete patches with the chamfered corners and all that jazz, and then it falls apart again a few years later on. Then they do it again, and then you're stuck in traffic, and then you'll look over to the railing, and you'll start seeing, hey, look at that. That's concrete. That's rebar right yep. there. It's not supposed to be seen. It's supposed to be embedded in the concrete. But that's eventually falling apart as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, once that corrosion process starts, I mean, the, the rebar is going to start to oxidize. And then then it's an accelerated deterioration process. That whole sequence of events is accelerated when you add salt. So either road salt or salt being driven in from the ocean, storms. But road salt, I mean, getting that tracked in and out of a parking garage, you know, on the tires of your car, it's a constant corrosive element. I mean, in, in Ontario, I mean, how much of the year is, is salt being used? Six months. Yeah. That's how we look at it, right? So what is it, two seasons here? Summer, yeah. winter, right? That's all it is, right? Huh. So how do we fix all this stuff? We get you guys to fix it. Yeah, I mean, we're a manufacturer, obviously, of the materials. I mean, there's contractors in every city, you know, in just about every corner of North America that have the abilities to, you know, to fix this. They're either in the waterproofing or the structural, you know, structural repair space. But looking at, you know, we work with a lot of waterproofing companies because the root causation of a lot of issues that we see, you know, stem from insufficient waterproofing. The deck membranes are a, are a big part of it. If you see pooling water, that was something that was noted a lot, you know, a lot of the residents said, yeah, we we're getting all this, you know, and, and going back to Miami, a lot yeah. of the residents say we're getting all this water pooling on the, on the deck, you know, around the pool deck and yeah. around all of these areas in, in, the, uh, in the structure. But, you know, this should sound some alarm bells because y if you have standing water, you know, on that structure, things aren't draining properly. And that water is now draining through that concrete structure. It's getting to all of the, the reinforcing steel. It's starting to deteriorate all of these elements that yeah. are keeping that building up. So it's a very slow deterioration process, but it, it only goes one way. It, only, it typically only gets worse. So what kind of contractors are you guys looking for that want to do this training, that want to get into this business, that are interested, or even expand their business and possibly offer this service for them? What kind, like? Yeah, I mean, we, we work with, I mean, we work with some of the, you know, we work with very small companies as, you know, I want to say one man show, but, you know, a, a couple of guys up into, you know, large, large companies where they're, you know, they have big crews and, and uh, you know, a few hundred employees. Does it say. make sense to have concrete guys kind of get educated and trained on this? Yeah. I it mean, kind of makes sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Concrete. I mean, if you're in the concrete repair space or you're in, you know, if you want to, there's a lot of guys that are in the new, you know, you're, you're into pouring concrete and that's, that's great, but there's a lot of work that I think those guys shy away from on the repair side. They don't want to touch the repair, the repair of it. Be because I think largely it's because there aren't, gr there haven't been great solutions to address a lot of these repairs. Yeah, that's true. And I think if they don't have those, you know, those tools in their arsenal, they're going to shy away from that work and stick to the, you know, stick to the new, the new stuff. But the repair work is abundant, you know, like we were saying. So, I mean, anyone that's in that, you know, a lot of general contractors that are taking on, you know, considerable size projects or, let's say you're working on a basement renovation and you discover that crack. This is something that's within the wheelhouse of, if, if you have the ability to be able to, you know, put that basement back together again, or you're doing a, a renovation and you have that skill set, the skill set required to, to install carbon fiber is, you know, well within the realm of, it's of extremely of valuable. Yeah. For your yeah. arsenal, for sure it is. And we, you know, we, we provide 
the training, like we said, to make sure that they have, a, they have an understanding of it, and then the support, the engineering support, and that's a big side of it too, is being able to get an answer quickly, so we're not gonna hold a project up and bottleneck it for you. you know, we wanna keep, we understand sort of the pace of, the pace of business to make sure that you can actually so address here's a, it. So here's a scenario, Steve, is the idea that, so you got a contractor who's renovating a basement, comes across a situation where he feels there's a, a, a bad crack, there's, there's issue, either it's actually bowing into the structure, sends you a picture, how's the ball start rolling from there? You guys respond back and, and start making some solutions or you guys schedule a site visit from there? Well, I mean, we're based out of Ohio. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm, on, I'm in Victoria, I'm in uh, British Columbia myself, but- Somebody here? There's no one in Ontario currently, well, okay. no, but, but largely a lot of this is actually done, you know, it's done online, but what we, the, the first thing that we'd want to do is just gather, gather as much intelligence and you know, much info as we can to understand what's going on. We're going to ask the contractor, you know, as many questions as we can to make sure that he has an understanding of other, other forces at play. Beyond that, we want to make sure that there, if there's a, you know, a local engineer that can actually go out and get eyes and you know eyes and ears on it to have a, a, an actual understanding of what's you know what's caused that crack or that bowing wall or whatever the issue is, mm -hmm. and then we'll work with that local engineer to facilitate the carbon fiber you know repair design. So our our engineers will work with the local engineer. Most engineers that we work with are very favorable to carbon fiber. You know there, there's very little pushback on that now, and that's and that largely is because. There's way more awareness around it, and uh, you know they're they're interested in learning new techniques and you know cost-effective ways to be able to rehabilitate these structures. So we'll work with that local engineer. We'll provide him you know a, a design that he could he could stamp. We also work with third-party engineers too. So if we we have uh, an engineering firm that we work with that will stamp a design, you know if it's if it's you know in Ontario or something like that. But again, we want to make sure that there is a local engineer involved. To assess that and make sure that you know there isn't factors that are that because are they're slipping better under boots the on the ground, right? Like they're more familiar with this area and they'll be familiar with that scenario. Yeah, and that's why you want to work with that local person. Yeah, and I mean it's it's in a lot of cases it's going to require them to you know to get out on site and to have an understanding, you know, do a full structural assessment of it. You know, if it's if it's something major. How expensive? I mean, we haven't even talked about anything on the number side of things. I mean, outside of listen, there shouldn't be a dollar value attached with lives like your structure saving lives right but how expensive can this get what's the cost dollar you know value on this if you have i don't know i guess it's hard for you because you have to assess it per project or per scenario but if there's a single crack and there's a bowing or something like that what would the cost be attached to that we're talking you know uh, it, we're hundreds i mean it's going to be you know really let's say, yeah i mean so it's we haven't even hit a thousand dollars to no, do this and repair that's, and that's it yeah i mean really? you're able to wow. address you're you're able to address a lot of these repairs i mean let's just say let's just take a singular you know vertical crack in a basement that you've discovered been injected before i'm know, a that. basement contractor i do a lot of basements i focus on basements and i come across this crack and i explain the potential hazard attached to this to the clientele mm -hmm. and then i offer up you guys about a thousand dollars, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, you you could be, you know, you're around in that twenty dollars a square foot mark, you know, wow, to, okay. to address that, and that's you know, material, it's the epoxy, carbon fiber, and that's that whole system, and that comes with the, you know, the the engineering support to be able to guide you through Steve, that. Steve, I got to tell you, that's a little cheap, man. I'm just going to say it's a little cheap. Yeah, well, we're going to put the prices up after this podcast. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying, man. It's, it seems a little like yeah. I, I was I, yeah. I was actually expecting a little bit more because of the structural component attached to it, but. 
I'm more of a contractor that I, anything that's structural, you guys got to pay for it. It makes sense. There's there's a reason. You don't want to nickel and dime it. Mm-hmm. You actually want to find the proper product and the proper person to do it. So, I mean, that's that's fair. That's understanding. And that actually makes me as a contractor think I could easily sell this to a client. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and, and be able to explain it to a client too. I mean, one of the things that we've tried to do is really educate you know the public on the value of carbon fiber i mean whether you're buying ours or from a competitors it really the the point is is we want to be able to you know promote public safety and provide you know guys with a with a solution provide a homeowner it's not hopeless you don't have to tear your foundation out you don't have to replace it there are solutions that are available to you to you know to to address this so a lot of the projects that we get into i mean we get into a lot of parking garages and you know multi-story when was the very first one steve the very first when the, was that that yours or that carbon fiber first applied going like a carbon fiber the very first carbon fiber yeah job? to a structure I don't, I don't. yeah it's actually that's a good question and i believe the i believe that that goes back about 35 40 years if i'm not, it's not mistaken too long ago yeah so there and that was a depart it was actually in in the bridge space and that was i think it was a department of transportation job okay. and they did a, they did they studied it for for a long time and now we're able to take years of, of data and we can, we can use that. So they've data. been paying attention to what that carbon fiber did yeah. for the three, four decades that it's been attached to yeah. and, and take that data to future references. Yeah. And that's, and, and testing, I mean, ongoing testing, I mean, it's something that we're doing continuously. I mean, our products are being tested. It's just ongoing testing. You want to understand how your product's going to perform and freeze thaw cycles. And I mean, the most extreme scenarios we, we we test all the products to the point of failure 20 times in order to get a, an average test result that you're able to rely on so when we give a, an engineer a technical data sheet and said this is this is our design strength that that's backed up by multiple tests yeah. to the point where the, the material will go to the point of failure so we yeah. know exactly what that's going to be able to be specified at but it is important to be able to you know interpret what the material is capable of doing, what it's capable of. Uh, I mean, every construction material has a stress failure finish line, and including yours. You guys can take it to a certain point where it will eventually fail, but it requires X amount of force for it to fail, which is way beyond concrete, reinforced, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You guys, your product is making it that much stronger. Basically, it's the apocalypse if it's what happens, and that's when it's going to fail, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at, I mean, it would, it would withstand actually like a bomb blast. Let's say if you, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at from that perspective, there's been airports and things like that where they had security concerns and they wanted to actually wrap major structural elements in case there ever was an explosion because these would be the, these would be the components of the building that would still be standing. Oh, wow. So if you, if you look at some of the videos online, I mean, it would be encourage some of your listeners to do that, but go online and, and see some of the videos where they've tested columns and, uh, you know, to the point of failure. And it's an immense amount of force in order to, you know, to get a column to fail or a beam to break. We do um, beam break tests where we put, same as what we were saying about it with the car, driving the car up yeah. on it, but we'll put carbon fiber on the underside of a beam and then pressures exerted on the top of that beam to a point where we'll see exactly how much force that's going to be able to take. But and it's it is, an insane amount of force. It's insane, yeah. It's an astronomical amount of force. To What exactly is carbon fiber? Like what, what it, it's just basically fiberglass on roids? Is like what exactly is, is carbon fiber? So carbon fiber, I mean, it's, it's derived from pan. So it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an oil derivative product. So they okay. actually take 
strands of this, and it's woven together. So it, it's essentially in each one of these little toes, these little bundles of carbon fiber, there's these, mic I want to say microscopic, they're, they're visible under a microscope, but there's about 12,000 filaments of carbon fiber in each one of these little toes. Oh, wow. These filaments, if you were to actually just take one of these filaments and pull it out of that bundle, you would be able to, you know, you'd, you'd be amazed at the amount of strength that you'd be able to support with just one of these little toes. Once those are all bound together and you've saturated it in, in epoxy, you've, you've created this. But you guys are also basket weaving it together, right? You're, we, you're, you're fabric weaving it, I don't know. Yeah, yeah so the, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So there are, two, there are two weaves and primarily all structural strengthening is done with two weaves. Okay. Yeah, so you have a bi-directional weave where the toes or the bundles of carbon fiber are running vertically and horizontally. And that's great for crack repair or if you're trying to confine an, an, an element where you need strength vertically and horizontally, the carbon fiber is running in each direction of the reinforcing steel. That's sort of the common sense aspect of it. If you think about, you know, like going back to a bowed wall, if you had reinforcing steel running vertically down, that, down your basement wall, you'd want the carbon fiber, you'd want unidirectional carbon fiber where 100% of the material yeah. is running in the direction of that steel. And the same goes for, you know, the bidirectional where you look, you're dealing with cracks that may not be running in one, you know, the cracks are going to pull in all various different directions. So the bidirectional is the... And then you guys are applying the epoxy, you're embedding the fiberglass, and then you're applying the epoxy again. Yeah. And that's, that's it. There's not a second coat or... And that's and one and one thing to con one thing to consider if you're if you're doing this outside you need to coat you need to coat carbon fiber just because the epoxy you don't want long term UV, exposure right? UV okay yeah. Yeah. so that's the one kryptonite to epoxy is the UV right yeah okay yeah. it starts just, to what eat away at it yeah I mean our epoxy does have UV inhibitors in it so it can it can sustain time under the sun but any any long term exposure it'll start to break it down so what are you covering it with at that point. I mean, that could be something as simple as an exterior paint. Oh, really? It could be something as simple as that or something as... Just like to block a, the UV from actually getting to the, the epoxy. Yeah. That's all you have to yeah. do. I mean, elastomeric stucco, you can parge over it. You can pretty well put any kind of coating over the top. But the most important thing is that it's coated when it's outside. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't realize yeah. that. And, you know, and the interior for the basement application, as long as, I guess... Well, you, you'll get some UV coming in from window walls or whatever, but it's not enough. No. But as soon as you build, you frame and you insulate and you drywall, it's yeah. already covered. It's, it's going to stay sealed and it's fine. Yeah. It will yeah, never exactly. deteriorate from there. Wow. This is fascinating stuff, man. So, so it's like, okay, where do we go from here? Because, I mean, are you guys tackling other kinds of projects or are there other things that are going on? I mean, is the CN Teller falling apart or what's going on? <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're... we're um I mean, we're, we're excited at the fact that, I mean, there's so many, the, the awareness for carbon fiber is increasing, you know, significantly. So the variety and the spectrum of projects that contractors are coming to us with, it's great for us to see because they're getting it. You know, they're bringing us projects where you think this is an ideal application for carbon fiber. We're strengthening these beams. We're adding, adding significant strength to these buildings across the you know, United States and Canada, and contractors are adapting it really, really well. And we're, we're excited about that. I mean, the more traction that, you know, carbon fiber gets is, um, I mean, you have 30, 40 years now of, of credibility to, to fall back on. So we're understanding now. I think engineers are behind it, whereas I think in the past there was a little bit of apprehension. And maybe well, isn't that the general rule of thumb with engineers when they are so happy with what's currently out there that the moment that you introduce something new, 
does it mean that they have to go back to school? Exactly, right? Scratch your head. Well, it's then... easier to <laughs> specify the things you're comfortable with specifying. But how do we move forward? Like, how do we get taller buildings or fixed current buildings? And I mean, I mean, I know Toronto's not famous for this. We don't like restoring. We like breaking down and putting new, right? But I mean, like, how do we? How do we get them to be more educational on this this factor of this stuff, right? And I started also thinking Toronto's big for rubble f- foundations. Mm-hmm. Is this still applicable for rubble foundation? It's uh, we've we've done some fieldstone. Uh, Have you done, done it we, really? We've done fieldstone. And how did that uh, go? Yeah, really interesting actually. We've had a few contractors that have brought fieldstone uh, foundations to us. The there are a few anomalies with that where there's you know we, we need to be able to. The, the contractor that, that did this particular project, he actually put a, uh, a mesh over the, over the field stone and then essentially kind of bonded, the, bonded all of that together. So parged he, par- it, he parged, parged it okay, all right. with a mesh, with a, with a steel mesh. What kind mesh. of a mesh? A fiber mesh? It's or a steel mesh that he a used. A steel mesh? Steel mesh, parged it, and then addressed it with carbon fiber for uh in front of that strength yeah now is that is the the concern that your product is being attached to the concrete mesh and not to the actual field stone or is it getting to the field or i guess is it is it a structural sandwich where you basically have the field stone it's attached to the field the 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 mesh and then it's attached to the structural yeah and it's all connected as one yeah got it and that's essentially it sometimes we'll utilize anchors and carbon fiber anchors are, are a way to really, you know, increase the design strengths of a lot of these projects. So the anchor is essentially a bundle of, of carbon fiber. It's a splayed anchor, so you can splay the carbon fibers over the, over oh, the wow. surface, and then okay. it can be used to actually, you could drill it through, let's say you could drill it through a foundation to sandwich, essentially, you know, two, two pieces of so carbon fiber. the other fiber. side, you basically, you hang on to both sides now yeah, at that point. Yeah, and, and you're getting, I mean, we, when we get into beam strengthening in a lot of commercial applications, they do call for, for anchors. And anchors have been, you know, there's a lot of development that's been, that's been going on with anchors. So we're able to get even higher, you know, design strengths out of it. Same with the flexural strengthening. When you're, if you're reinforcing the underside of a beam to anchor the, you know, both sides of that beam with uh, with carbon fiber, you're going to get that much more strength out yeah. of it to make sure it couldn't delaminate from either side in a in a failure. Is it worth? I know that late, like recently, I've seen a lot of concrete guys talk to me about fiberglass rebar. Is it worth? I mean, is anybody going to eventually get into a carbon fiber, or that, is that? That's, or that's is been that, done. Yeah, it's been done. Really, yeah. who's yeah. doing that? Dubai. Yeah, I mean, like, we're seeing basalt is 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 used for this really? now too. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of basalt. Carbon fiber rebar has been out for for but some time. But isn't basalt very porous like very there's a lot of holes in it or i don't know it doesn't it does it has it there is there is good strength to basalt but it doesn't have the same strength characteristics as carbon so okay really yeah fiberglass has its has its role too i mean we're seeing you know fiberglass has a bit of elasticity to it okay so in environments where you want you know a lot of movement but you want to keep that structure together fiberglass um you know is, is specified too or perhaps you don't need the same amount of strength that carbon fiber has and the cost Etc. You can use fiberglass, but going back to your rebar, what you're saying, yeah, there's, there's, people have done it. It's probably a bit cost prohibitive to, you know, to to build an entire structure out of carbon fiber rebar right now, but it's been done. And the the nice thing is, is it's not corrosive. That's where I, I guess that's where I see the the positivity attached to fiberglass rebar, where it's not that cro- it's not corrosive at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But the, I guess the only tricky part is that you'd have to order bends. 
right? So that you can't just bend it on site versus the old school mentality where you can bend rebar. To yeah, your and you're limited. I mean, happy, carbon right? fiber is not going to bend well in the. No, you rebar. have to shape it as well. Yeah, do the same not, thing. it's not a it's not an easy thing for that. But I mean, car the characteristic of carbon fiber being non corrosive makes it ideal if you're. We're actually doing quite a few swimming pools now where, you know, major cracks and especially you get down into Los Angeles and, you know, these seismic areas or even swimming pools in Ontario, for that matter, where you're dealing with a lot of heaving concrete swimming pools that have cracked. It's the nice thing with carbon is you're not introducing steel to that structure. You know, people yeah. have saltwater pools salt where you water, have a exactly. constant corros corrosive element to it. And that's interesting because, I mean... I guess most pools, I'm going to assume, are, are done with fiber mesh or they're done with the, the reinforcing concrete. Is that, I don't think it's done with a mesh or a rebar system, is it? Or I don't know. Shotcrete and, you know, shotcrete, shotcrete yeah, that's what it is, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, if there's some movement, you go back to the soil conditions. If there's some movement, you're going to get a crack. Then the pool is either right. you rebuild it or you repair it that way. Yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, aspect of it too. I mean, no, being that it's non-corrosive, it makes it it makes it great for any kind of environment where you're going to have. I mean, you you look at the major, you know, the major causation of the rebar, you know, the spalling, and you start to see that exposed rebar. Salt is is usually the culprit. Yeah. You know, when we see it. See I think that. everybody sees it in every single city. Yeah. Including Kansas, right? Yeah. Yeah. They see it there too. Yeah, it's ongoing. I mean, you, th you think about, you know, stadiums and, and, you know, big structures like this. that are Wow, yeah, for sure. Entirely supported by. I never by even this. thought about it. I mean, the Sky Dome, I call it Sky Dome Rogers Center or whatever. Yeah. That, that was built in 89. I don't think there's any issues. And that's all concrete. And that's, uh, I don't think there's any issues there, right? I mean, I haven't, we haven't seen anything there. We haven't heard anybody or anything like that, no, so I don't no. know. There's uh, buildings, I mean, I think, you know, just the average parking garage structure, a condo building. I mean, I was, we were on vacation this, uh, this summer and I pulled into this underground parking garage in, in a hotel. It was a relatively new hotel out in BC. Pulled into the underground and I see dozens of, of cracks that are spanning the entire length of the building. Oh, wow. And, you know, I mean, I, I told the building owner about it. I called the, uh, I called the, all the powers that be. And How did they react? And uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that to our attention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll pass that on to you know the the powers that, that be. But I think just being proactive about those types of things, it never hurts to to report something like that. I mean, if you're living in a building where you you're parking your garage under your car rather underneath a crack like this, talk about it. You know, bring it up. And, uh, and call someone because it, it's, it, these cracks don't get better. I mean, cr concrete always cracks, but the cracks, you know, you never see these cracks close up typically. I mean, it's... No, they it's don't. Getting worse. They open up. Yeah. Get back to your car and there's like concrete dust on your hood. Yeah. There's a reason what's going on. Yeah. Oh, man. How are the inspectors when it comes to this kind of stuff? Are they scratching their heads too because they haven't seen it that much? So they, I guess they're just like, send me the engineer report, please. I'll just uh, pretend to read it. Yeah. And I'm not knocking inspectors or anything like that. But I mean, like, I, can, I don't know how you, I don't know. I, if I was an inspector, I don't know how much I would know about it. So I'd have to refer to a structural engineer at that point. Yeah, I mean, a lot of building inspectors are, um, you know, they're pretty proactive about it and they like to Really? Look, you know, a lot of, yeah, we, we've actually done... Um, We've done conferences and, and seminars for home Good. inspectors just okay. just to help bring awareness to them because I mean these guys are out in the you know in the front lines and seeing this this type of thing. I mean if if you're arming them with the knowledge to be able to make these types of recommendations and know what's 
you know, what they're looking at. So that's, you know, it's a good avenue and we do, we try, you know, the best we can to try and educate the, you know, the inspector community. I know we've talked a lot about your product being on a vertical element, but is it stay, is it the same on a horizontal element? It is, right? Mm -hmm. It still does what it's supposed to do with concrete on a horizontal. Yeah. So if you've got a basement slab and you get that one crack in the first year you're living there and all of a sudden five years later, it starts to become a little mountain of some sort. It starts to heave up. That can be repaired with it. Is that the idea or no? Well, it, it, it could. Yeah, okay. it, it absolutely could. I mean, you could repair that that slab, you know, with it. If you you have to kind of look at what po- if it's the positive or negative side of that slab and what's going on with it. So if it's okay. if it's heaving, you know, we we could arrest the movement in that that particular area and we'd be on the positive side of it. But if it's sinking or the, you know, the slab's breaking off, then we want to, you know, make sure that you're you're addressing what's causing that that slab to sink. So if it's heaving slightly, you can actually use your product, stop it. It's not going to heave anymore and then finish your basement. Not, not an issue at all. But if it's actually sinking, then you'd have to do a core sample or some sort. And yeah. Figure I mean, out. With, with sink, you know, once something's sinking, we, we would want to, you would almost want to have the product on the underside of that slab, which yeah. is obviously not, it's not, it's possible. not going to happen. Yeah. Right. So in that case, you know, if something's sinking, that's where you want to look at, you know, polyurethane getting a company that can inject underneath your slab to actually inject that structural polyurethane. Yeah, I've heard about that. So it can hold it it, up. Yeah. Level it, stabilize it. I mean, that's really what you want is you want to stabilize, you want to stabilize a structure to make sure that it's, uh, it's not going to be, it's not going to be sinking or performing like that. All right. There's a, there's a lot out there for carbon fiber. I mean, I mean, we're, we're, we're passionate about it and we love, you know, we love working with new contractors. We, we, you know, we love to support, a contractor and see them get into it and, and fully and fully back them up, you know. So how does one get a hold of you guys if they do want to take this training and get more insight into this and offer this to a client? Give us a call. We're, we're very accessible people. I mean, okay. my, my contact information is out there and, and shared it with everybody. But yeah, give us a call on the toll free. Give us an email and, uh, you know, just get in touch with us. We love to, you know, see, see what you're up against. Maybe, maybe it is or isn't a fit for our product, but we're happy to tell you if it's, you know, this is this is a good fit for carbon fiber or no, you're going to need, I got a funny feeling. You're going to get a lot of contractors that are going to come across. I've come across it twice. You know what I mean? Where I've seen a pretty bad crack where I'm like going, this is, this is like, this needs to be repaired Mm -hmm. as a result of that. The clients didn't want to spend the money at that point. That was the thing. So I don't, and it's usually a denial from the insurance company too. I mean, a lot of people think that oh, that's interesting. A, a crack is is covered by your insurance, but in in effect, yeah, they're going to cover the the they're going to cover the subsequent damage from the yeah the, the leak, act, but they're yeah. not going to cover the crack in your foundation. Well, a lot of people don't realize that if you got home insurance, some home insurances you actually have to apply and pay for the extra premium for any kind of flooding in a basement. Yeah, it's not necessarily automatically attached to your policy mm-hmm. you have to look for that that's because that starts to get into backflow and everything and the same thing you just said about the crack so it's like we won't yeah. we won't insure you for the crack but sure enough if that house starts to flood and you get a problem hey we'll cover you at that point yeah yeah it's it's just the way it works yeah yeah I mean, so it's worth looking into your policy and try to figure out the details like retaining walls are a big part of that too you know leaning retaining walls and tipping retaining walls and uh that's you know, a lot of contractors, when you're pulling up to a job site, just take a look at how many cracked retaining walls there are out there as you're pulling into the driveway. Wow, you know, and you that's a, a good point. Man. That's a prime, prime application for it. 
Is it worth like those larger scale retaining walls that you see in the infrastructure? Is it worth putting your product? I'm, I'm assuming it is on the backside of it, right? Well, I mean, you, you'd be on on the positive pressure side okay, of it. So you put right. it on the, put it on the face. Sometimes we we incorporate tiebacks, okay, wall tiebacks or yeah. anchors. Yeah. So you want to anchor that structure to to make sure that there's restraint. So you you know you don't want to add carbon fiber to it and the entire wall just tips over as one yeah, piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with you know sometimes it involves tiebacks or wall anchors, but in a lot of cases it can be remedied with carbon fiber and it can you know return around corners and keep that whole retaining wall together. You guys must talk to a lot of city officials, man. Like I mean, how are those conversations when you guys are talking to the city infrastructure? Like the civil engineers at that point trying to figure out, listen, your city's falling apart. Every city's falling apart. Yeah. How are those conversations going? Yeah, I mean, they're they're typically they're very favorable to, to really? carbon fiber. Yeah, we're working with you know school districts and different you know levels of government. A lot of counties that have bridges. I mean, there's there is I think I want to say two hundred and thirty thousand bridges across. America that are structurally deficient. U.S. and Canada. That's just U.S. That's just U.S. That's just U.S. So, so it's what two hundred thousand and one hundred, if you include Canada. No, yeah. we've got a lot of bridges here, <laughs> yeah. right? So that's a lot of bridges, man. It's a lot. Yeah. So we're we're working with you know different you know if you're if you're a contract, we've actually worked with a number of contractors across uh, the states and different areas where they've actually approached their local county. There's actually a great picture of a bridge that we fully wrapped on our website, but they, they went, they were proactive about it, went and reached out to the, to the county officials and said, hey, we have a solution for this, this bridge. We can wrap this entire bridge. This, was, this particular project was in Indiana and they had vertical cracking through the pier caps in the bridge. Oh, wow. They were proactive, went and spoke with the county about it and they bid on the project and they, they wrapped, it was, a, it was a really large bridge structure actually, and they wrapped it in a, in a week, shot blasted it, wrapped the entire thing in, um, in carbon fiber, and then they used the Sherwin Williams elastomeric stucco to coat the whole thing. Oh wow! And it was it was a great project for the contractor. Everything went great, and I mean, it's a, it was a main throughway into the into the town, to the city. Shot blasting it at first. I mean, you're compromising the structure, but you're only doing it for a certain period of time, and then you're applying your product up. Yeah, you you just want again. We're opening up the pores of the yeah. Concrete, that's all it is. Cleaning right? the surface, making sure it's because mo- all these new piers or all these old piers are all designed for a, f- a creamy finish, right? Yeah. And you, you guys need to get past that to actually get the absorption. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So that's important. I mean, if you're doing large scale projects, you know, media blasting is the way to go. Then you're not surface grinding, you know, by Got it. by hand. So it can scale up like that. So if you have, you know, large projects where you can, we can, I mean, you could do silos and seawalls and that type of thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to do it. Would it make sense? Because I mean, like with any kind of condo structure, apply your product on the, the first structure floor above the parking garage and just use that as your because it's got to be a it's got to be a waterproofing product as well too yeah so yeah. would it, so if you coat that first structure that first floor with your product make it fully waterproof fully structural that would be a good thing no yeah it's great i mean look going every everything from you know putting carbon fiber on the actual slab you know on the deck yeah, we, we, we come up with designs where it's essentially like a grid pattern. So you have strength running in every direction across that slab. Beams are either wrapped or, you know, there's there's carbon fiber on the underside. Columns are wrapped. Those are all, you know, those are all great measures to be able to take to rehabilitate, you know, a parking garage. Otherwise, you'd be, you know, doing section enlargement on columns. I mean, it gets very invasive. You'd be fixing crack yeah. after crack. And after you're only crack. adding an eighth of an inch of material 
to the structure and no weight, which is a big part of this too. So if you look at traditional strengthening methods with steel, you're adding, you're compounding an issue because you're adding weight to a structure yeah. by using steel. Yeah. Steel plates and, and, you know, and adding additional rebar. It's far more invasive. What is the weight of this stuff? I mean, you're at an eighth of an inch. It's next to nothing per I mean, square foot. Yeah, I mean, It's nothing, basically. You're even less than... Well, you're probably the equivalent of a parging an eighth of an inch of concrete. If yeah, that. yeah, the parging would, would weigh probably more, more than the concrete. More than that. Uh, more than the carbon than the fiber. Than the carbon fiber, yeah. yeah. Okay, but we're neither, or I'm not an engineer, so I can't I'm sign not either, off. No. I can give you a stamp, but it's a postage stamp. That's all <laughs> I'll give you, man. No, I don't want to speak out of terms. I'm not an engineer either. No, no but it just kind of makes sense, and that's what I like about hearing about these new ideas, these new techniques, because I know that in my career, I'm going to come across a scenario where, you know what, I've got a glossary of products and people, service and training, and then I can offer that. Yeah. Over here, this yeah. might be a consideration, guys. You want to know what's available to you, right? I mean, yeah. you, you want to know that when you, you come across that, you have solutions that, you know, you, you, can, you can address, provide your client. I mean, that's what we're, we're all in the, the solution business, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're doing essentially for Okay, well, I mean, hopefully in the future that we're not going to have these and people are going to be proactive and looking at their structures and going, listen, there's one crack, two crack, three crack, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember doing a job and a client was telling me, oh, we've got ants in the house. And then I, I started educating myself about ants. And they're like, tell me, if you see one ant in a house, it's not an issue. He snuck in, he got in. If you see two ants in the house, might be a slight issue. If you start seeing three or four ants, then guess what? The nest is there. And that's still applicable to cracks. Yeah. You start seeing one crack, two crack, three crack, there's an issue attached to this. Yeah. So you might want to address it before you just make it look all pretty in front of it, not knowing that you didn't do anything about the crack. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. No, it's it's really good. It's just, it's great to be aware of it. And I think if if we can, you know, prevent another failure, yeah. like, like that one in Miami, I mean, yeah. this is a... You know, if we could just prevent one of those, I mean, this is this is a very worthwhile, you know, you know, endeavor for for any contractor that wants to offer this type of repair to you know to their clients and for us too. I mean, it's we feel we're uh, you know this is this is important to us to wow. to put this kind of awareness out there. Okay, so everybody, uh, Steve Andrews, uh, Structural RS Structural Reinforcement Solutions at www.structuralrs.com. Get him at his email at sandrews with an s at structuralrs.com. And then on IG and Facebook, it's structural.rs. And there's a YouTube channel, so you can see a bunch of stuff that you guys have worked on. Everything you guys have, you've discussed here. Structural uh, Reinforcement Solutions is a YouTube channel. And then what's the, we never got the toll free number. If the, you know yeah, what the number is? Yeah, it's 1-888-292-2592. Okay, cool. Is there anything else you want to discuss? No, I really appreciate uh, you bringing awareness to this, Manny. Thanks for having me Dude, on. Dude, this it's is huge. Great. When you it's first introduced me, up. I was sold. i just been waiting for the right project to use it so then I could actually go, yeah, yeah, I know a little bit more about this. And that's why I like I come I love coming across products like yours where it, it makes sense, man. It totally makes sense when you like you said, it's like it's gonna come up at one point or another. If you start dealing with a lot of older homes in Toronto, older homes across the country, this situation will come up and you wanna have something in your arsenal to present to the client. Yeah. Yeah. You totally that's do. It. Yeah. Okay, we've got one last segment. You know the deal. We got one last segment of 12 questions of construction. Are you ready for this one? That's it. <laughs> what is your favorite construction word, Steve? My favorite construction word? I'd have to say that, uh, let me think about this for a second. I'd say that you need to be flexible in what you do. 
flexible. Actually, yeah, I, think I think you need to be to say that. Think, yeah. yeah, I think you need to be flexible in what you're. Your approach, your understanding. It's a, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching that beyond one word now. So I'm no, no, no. But the key word is flexible, and that's yeah. where it's coming from. And yeah. I like that. I like that. Uh, what is your least favorite construction word? I'm going to say it can't be dumb, but I'd say uh, <laughs> my least favorite construction word. I'm trying to think about that. I, I didn't know we were going to do these questions, but I don't know if I have a least favorite <laughs> construction word. <laughs> Just pick Steel. one. Steel. That's true. That's a good one, man. Uh, what turns you on in construction? Uh, I like I like proactive contractors. I think contractors that are that are aware that ask the right questions. That's a that's a big thing. I yeah, like that for sure. Uh, what turns you off in construction? A contractor that's a, a know-it-all and someone that is making assumptions. I think that's a that's a huge turnoff. Can we all agree that construction is the probably one of the greatest careers where you're constantly learning? Yeah, like constantly learning. Yeah. Yeah, it, so, it requires a, a measure of humility to understand oh, what you don't know. I mean, it's that's thousand percent. Huge. What is your favorite curse word or phrase? It's funny we've kept this one very clean, so it's up to you. I can bleep it out, or you can just not say a curse word. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll say for crying out loud because I always say that for crying okay, out loud. Okay, that's perfect, yeah, yeah. man. You that's keep, that's a curse word. Off this. <laughs> that's totally a curse word. What is your favorite car, truck, bike, or vehicle? Man, I've been a Toyota guy for. Oh, really? A long time, yeah. No, I'm but a, you're a truck. You're a truck guy. I'm a truck guy through and through, yeah. What do you got, a Tundra? I, I actually got a, uh, I, I, had, I had a few Tundras, but I'm, I've got a Jeep, um, I've got a Jeep Gladiator Mojave now. Uh, is that the, that's a pickup one, right? Yeah, it's a pickup. Yeah, my brother just got, well, his wife got that one. She's I love been, it. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it's actually pretty cool. It looks fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Is it fun? Yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's really not a useful truck. You know, it has no load carrying capacity. It's it's useless for. It just looks being, yeah, fun. I just like it. <laughs> what is your least favorite car, truck, bike, vehicle? Oh wow, there's a few. There's a few. Tr there's a few vehicles I really don't like. Being from UK, I'd have to say Skoda or Lada. Someone said Lada. <laughs> I forgot about Skodas, you man. You remember Skoda? I yeah. remember Skoda. Yeah, they're, not, Skoda. they're not very attractive Not looking. a great car. No. no I've, never driven, I've driven a Lada. I've driven a Lada. What construction sound or noise do you love? Oh, do I love? Hmm. That's a good question. Do I, man, I'm thinking about noises that you like. Hmm. As I have some vino here. <laughs> the, sound of, uh, the sound of cleaning going on on the job site vacuums brooms you know a nice clean site it is eh? yeah especially in the like afternoon that. when the yeah. day's kind of winding down it's just kind of mm. nice clean job site it's calming yeah i like that yeah what construction sound or noise do you hate a ram set i you know i had someone set off a ram set inside a closet and i think i lost some of my hearing as a joke he Why? came up behind me and set a ram set off in a closet and it just echoed I mean, it's like a gunshot. I mean, it's a 22 shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Ramsat, worst noise. Where's that individual underneath some carbon fiber? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm. That's an interesting, that's an interesting question. Could be construction related still, but yeah, it could also yeah. be anything I mean, in the world. Yeah. I love, um, I mean, in, in the construction space. Yeah. I mean, I'm. Could be. It doesn't anything. have to be. It doesn't have to be in could the construction space. Could be anything. Space. I'd like to do, be a trail. I'd like to do trail building. Trail building. Trail building. Yeah. 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 Being out in the woods. Yeah. Creating a nice trail. Hiking, biking, dirt biking, whatever nice. the case. Yeah, I like I'd love that. To trail building. What profession would you not like to do? Ooh, that's a that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> what I not like to do? Insulating. 
It's hard, eh? It's oh, a it special a full, breed like of you, individuals. Like if that was all you did, it was just insulate? Like Monday to Friday. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting why they all smell a little bit like weed all the time. Yeah, I don't know if I would say <laughs> it's you'd need something to help you through that. There's something about it. Uh, and the last question is if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? We've got some uh concrete up here that we need to have reinforced so <laughs> can you help me out with that son <laughs> i thought everything was built in wood up there but yeah, no no it's yeah. probably concrete as well man <laughs> steve always a pleasure to see you i really appreciate you coming out man and coming out to the east and visiting everybody here and, and stopping by on the show and and i agree with you that we were chatting on the dms going let's do it in person man yeah i really appreciate just, it, it the conversation is always better and i was fascinated from the moment you introduced the product and i'm still fascinated by it and i'm still I'm going to call you one day. I'm going to send you a picture one day. I'm going to show you, listen, I got a scenario. I got a situation. I got a client who's eager. They want to do it. I'm eager. To, I want to do it. And then I'll eventually get it done. But I mean, anybody that's out there that is interested in trying it out or learning more, please reach out to Steve Andrews. Structural Reinforcement Solutions, www.structuralrs.com. S. Andrews with an S at structuralrs.com. And on IG and Facebook, structural.rs. And also check out the YouTube. Great. Steve, yeah. thanks so much, dude. Thanks for having I me. I really appreciate, really appreciate it, it, man. Great to catch right. you up, man. Let's go continue finishing drinking this vino and then uh, maybe get a bite to eat, man. Sounds good. Let's thanks, Steve. All right, take care.